Welcome to Modern Aikido's podcast. Please help by liking, subscribing, and sharing this podcast if you're watching this on YouTube or BitChute. These are all free and help out a great deal. Word of mouth is how shows like this reach more people who are interested. Another way you can support this podcast is by way of a PayPal tip jar. You can leave a donation of any amount you like or set up a monthly donation just like Patreon or Subscribestar. Only I don't make you pay for my content. I only invite you to contribute. There's a link in the description. I sincerely appreciate your interest and support. In today's episode, I'm going to delve into the philosophical side of martial arts training. This topic is relevant to our training and how we look at the power our training gives us. The effect of how we use that power and not use it is profound. First off, let me clarify a definition. I use the word power to indicate the ability to control others as well as potentially cause pain and injury, resulting in compliance or domination. Other common words used to indicate this are strength or prowess. The word strength tends to be viewed as merely muscle power, so that didn't seem like the right word to use here. Prowess fits very well and describes more what I'm talking about, but it's not a common word anymore, so many people would not recognize it. What I'm talking about is having the skills and abilities to exert your will upon other people. I'm not even talking just about the physical aspect, although physical strength and prowess does play a significant role. How? Let's take someone who is physically much bigger and stronger than you are. Let's also say that you know that they are more skilled than you are, that you know pretty much for certain that if they wanted to, they could hurt or kill you without you being able to effectively stop them. You could also view this as someone who is wielding a gun. If that person decided to threaten you or command you to do something, would you comply? You would be much more likely to comply with their demands than if they did not wield power over you. The topic today relates to wielding that power. We as martial artists spend a great deal of time and effort to building skills which equate to a certain kind of power. Is that power we build in ourselves a virtue? This is a profound question. Now, I'm no expert in Chinese philosophy, but I did hear a perspective on it which sponsored a great deal of thought. That is, power is a virtue, and it is the virtue which allows other virtues to survive. If one is too weak or powerless to defend oneself, then any other virtues one has will be lost when faced with someone who is powerful. I'll add here that when you're talking about survival in life, cunning and smarts count as power. It is possible to survive on these alone, but having solid physical prowess gives you a great advantage. I think the most obvious example is that having a strong and fit body from training is an outward sign that you are not easy prey to someone who may want to victimize you. You may not think on this level, but predators and thugs do. They will look for those who appear weak, as they are easy to intimidate and take what they want. If you look, you can pretty easily spot those who are skinny, uncoordinated, confused, and unobservant. Back to the topic, though. Is power itself a virtue? It's a trait, for sure. The definition of a virtue is a moral excellence. Being kind, generous, courteous, these are virtues. One can wield power in the service of virtue or for nefarious purposes. I think that power is only a virtue when it is used for good. In reality, that power is necessary when standing up to those who will seek to do harm or evil. That is when you really need to have power, and there is no substitute for it. If you lack power, the best you can hope for is that someone with power intervenes on your behalf. As they say, when seconds count, the police are minutes away. Can you count on others who have power to be on hand when your safety or your life are being threatened? 
What if they are on hand, but do not intervene? What if they have the power, but lack courage or willingness to help you? Flipping the scenario around, what if you see someone who is weak being threatened or victimized? Would you have the courage or willingness to help them? What if doing so posed a significant risk to yourself? Has your training honed your own skills and abilities to the point where you could handle a significant physical threat? If not, do you feel you have built your skills to an acceptable level, or do you have more work to do? If we look at our martial art as being a set of practical physical skills meant to protect ourselves, our loved ones, or even innocent strangers, then we must ask ourselves this question. Granted, I'm talking about an unlikely circumstance we might find ourselves in, but these intense violent situations can happen. When they do, you have little time to think and your training must hold true. I would say the dedication and focus of someone who trains to be prepared for such a circumstance are virtues. They are preparing themselves to do what most will not. When they do intervene to save another at significant risk to themselves, they are rightfully viewed as heroes. Society needs people like this if it is to remain peaceful. The sad fact is that there will always be people who will make victims of others. Mankind has advanced a great deal in terms of civilization and enlightenment, although these days one wonders about that. But we have come a long way from where we started, when you look at the broad spectrum of human history. We no longer believe it's acceptable to own human beings as property, for example. This is pretty enlightened, considering slavery was an institution for thousands of years. Yet, we grew beyond it. Sadly, there are people who have not grown beyond realizing that victimizing others is morally wrong. People are robbed, attacked, raped, and murdered every day. Most people know these things are wrong, but not all do. Having the virtue to not do these things to other people is not effective in stopping them from happening to you. Wisdom is a virtue, and being wise enough to avoid places where savages are will help save you from such an experience. While it will improve your odds, it is no guarantee. I'm saddened to see violence becoming more widespread in our world today. It always existed even in the most peaceful of places, but nowadays the level of risk appears to be rising rapidly. If you are a virtuous person, I think it's worth considering how it is you will protect your virtue and maintain your positive influence on yourself, your family, and the world. What will the future of the world be when the good people do not survive in the face of the savagery which is present in our society? In whose hands does the future lie? In looking at it that way, Perhaps power is a virtue. It is the one virtue which allows the other virtues to survive. What are the responsibilities and obligations of having such power? I think the responsibilities of having power are fairly obvious. Those being that we never indulge in using that power to victimize others. Basically, do no evil with it. The danger here is that power corrupts. The kind of power we are talking about, physical power, pales in comparison to the power associated with vast wealth or fame. These are incredibly potent influences which corrupt people. Even high levels of physical power can corrupt a person's character. Arrogance and rude behavior often follow as someone builds remarkable skills. It might be in a boxer or fighter who proves that they are better than most others, or it might even come in time with Aikido practitioners when their rank and fame grow to be big enough. Being praised and treated with adoration as an expert or a master is a powerful drug, and many succumb to its effects. It's far too easy to allow the ego to swell when people start worshipping you. I think this is the danger of wielding power, 
which is far greater than merely whether you use too much power and end up causing more pain or damage than you intended. That is a danger too, but it isn't nearly the threat to good character that being lured into having an overblown opinion of yourself is. It takes remarkable humility and discipline to remain humble through becoming powerful and famous. When you look at those who have gone through it, you can see how many have not been able to do it. The other factor I mentioned regarding power is even more interesting to me. That is, the obligations of having power. When we think of defending ourselves, it's easy to acknowledge that we have an obligation to protect ourselves. Self-protection is an inherent human trait. If you are drowning, you will fight to keep your head above water. It's impossible not to do. Even if you do not have the swimming skills to prevail, you will still fight to live. However, the willingness to act to save another is not nearly as ingrained. In fact, they are often in conflict. If you know how to swim, then jumping into the water to help someone else is an easy decision. The tricky part comes when there's a risk to your own safety. What if you could die along with the person you are trying to save? This is often the case in violent situations. Our own self-protection instincts will often raise red flags and cause us to hesitate to intervene for fear that our safety might be compromised. Our brains try to evaluate the risks compared to the potential outcomes in order to determine whether our intervention is both necessary and wise. For a loved one, family member, or close friend, we are more compelled to come to their aid. With a total stranger, we are less likely to risk our own safety for them. It's easy to say that we would selflessly risk our own safety as we sit in comfort and speculate, but it's another thing entirely to be faced with having to choose potentially dying to help a complete stranger. Basically, talk is cheap. We must also remember that oftentimes helping someone by sacrificing our own safety does not assure that they will be saved. They might meet the same fate whether we intervene or not. These are all things which may race through your mind in seconds as you are faced with a complex situation which is going bad very quickly. There are no clear answers due to the complexities of human interactions. Every circumstance is different with many influencing factors. Where does virtue come into play? We must each decide for ourselves what is right. People will have different answers and there is no one-size-fits-all answer. I do believe human beings have a fundamental obligation to protect themselves, their family, and their loved ones. I will go a step further and say that we have a fundamental obligation to contribute to society being peaceful and stable. Of course this means that we contribute by not using violence in peaceful situations. That part's pretty easy. Where the matter of violence gets tricky is when someone else introduces violence to a peaceful environment. This is where the question of the virtue of power becomes relevant. I believe those with power have an obligation to see that violence is halted. This doesn't necessarily mean apply physical force against an aggressor, although that could be necessary. It means that you intervene to put a stop to violence. In America more than a hundred years ago, any adult male who was physically fit and capable was obliged by law to stop a crime in progress. This was codified in law, but this was due to the fact that it reflected the culture. Nowadays we view law as guiding culture, but that's a whole nother topic. The law at the time held that if someone stood by and let someone else get victimized or allowed a crime to take place, they could be charged with a crime themselves. Fast forward to modern times, and the culture has been completely reversed, primarily driven by legislation. This has been the case for some 50 years or so. We are told never to, quote, take the law into our own hands. We must do nothing but call the police. 
In the last decade or so, culture has adjusted slightly to having people whip out their cell phones and get a video of violence or crime being committed in their presence. This shift in culture has had a profound impact on society and even the need for personal protection skills. What if you are being victimized and no one is there to come to your aid? It makes sense if you are alone with your attacker, but what if you're in a crowd of people and no one will come forward to assist you? As I said before, when seconds count, the police are minutes away. In that time before the police arrive, do you have anything more than hope that you will survive? And now our current era has a new twist thrown in. What if the police don't come when they are called? What if those minutes turn into an hour or more, or they never come? You are on your own. It may just be that all that remains of you is a video which makes it to YouTube documenting your fate. If anything, the fact that police assistance not coming in a timely manner, or at all, makes an even stronger case for the obligation of people to protect one another. I'm not attempting to tell you what you should do, but offer this as something to think about. The turmoil and violence going on right now should make us think very hard about what our role in maintaining our safety and security will be. We should also think of what our obligations to our neighborhood and community are. These may have been well-defined in the past with others taking care of it for us, but that is changing rapidly. When it comes to having any power, particularly the power of violence, we must be well-prepared mentally to wield it. It pays to go through and create our own rules of engagement to determine when we will and won't use it, and how we will use it should we need to. It takes a great deal of introspection to determine how far we are willing to go and what our limits are. These will help us when the stressful time comes, when we need to keep a cool head and act rationally. This is important for when we may need to enter the physical violence realm. What are your thoughts? Please share your ideas in the comments if you're watching this on YouTube, or go to the Facebook group Aikido the Marshall Side and post a comment. The Spirit Aikido Online program has now more than 80 videos in the program with new ones being added every few days. In the most recent series of videos, I cover ways to introduce Giawaza to your practice group and expand your improvisation skills with Aikido. I also started a series on the use of the cane for self-defense, as well as the warm-up sequence I use at the beginning of class, which a subscriber requested. These videos are live already for the gold subscribers and will be going live tomorrow for silver subscribers. There's a link in the description section. I invite you to check it out. I always enjoy hearing from listeners of the show, whether through comments or questions. Thank you all for sharing your interest. Enjoy your training.